0: This is the week of Thanksgiving. Turkey, stuffing, lots of pumpkin pie, But more importantly than all of those things, a week to reflect upon and to be grateful for what we've been given. And I just want to prepare your heart this morning. And I think it's going to tie into this day called Legacy that we celebrated at Graceland just perfectly. I want to ask you, where do you find your heart? Do you find it complaining? Do you find it ungrateful? Or do you feel and know that you have a heart that is flowing with gratitude this morning. And here's the deal. Whether you have a heart of gratitude or ungratefulness this morning, you, your life is about to be put into warp speed. And here's why. In the next 40 days, in the next 40 days, you're going to give more. You're going to get more. You're going to throw more parties. You're going to go on small vacations. You're going to have people over. You're going to go to other people's house. Every single night of the week could have a party. You're going to shop more. You're going to spend more. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you sweating? yet because I am. But that is what is about time. Did you know that in the next 40 days, $620 billion will be spent? This craziness that we call the Thanksgiving and, and Christmas season is upon us. And if we're not careful, we will slide and hit the wall and it will hurt and even possibly desto- destroy our life. And, you know, the one thing that moves this 40 days into craziness more than anything else as we, we look into Thanksgiving is the one thing that we do not have enough of, and that is a sense of enoughness. We just don't have enoughness. If I were to ask you, honestly, in, in a room just by ourselves, maybe at a coffee shop, if I were to sit down, I would say, are you really completely happy with your income? If you were to be honest, you would say, mm, I could just use a little bit. That's right. That's right. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 5.10, he said, whoever loves money never has enough. And I'm telling you what, this man included, it feels like so many times we can never have a sense of enoughness. And you're going to be throwing messages. (laughs) You're going to be throwing messages Every single day for the next 40 days, you're going to hear things like if you would have more personal satisfaction, more toys, more time, more freedom, more money, better job, better kids, better family, better spouse, better house, better car, better looks, all of those things. then it would be enough. But my friend, it's never quite enough. So what I want to do is I want to pause, I want to teach you a principle that every single year we talk about at this church, since I've been the pastor, and we're gonna look at, this is gonna build a foundation upon a life that can be transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we can see a legacy formed. Because here's the deal, you will leave a legacy one way or another. My friend, you will leave a legacy whether you're grateful or ungrateful. So if you want to leave a legacy, that is the kind that you would be thankful for and and proud of as you look into your future and we look into the future of this church, then we have to understand and discover this timeless, godly principle. So I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it's basically in the middle of your Bible. Uh, If you don't own a Bible or a a tablet or a smartphone, you're going to read this with me on. There's a Bible in front of you. Um, get that out. And we'd love to give that to you as a gift if you don't own a Bible, Psalm 23. And as you're turning there, we've been in the book of Ruth, verse by verse through the book of Ruth. We just finished our series last Sunday and what a great series it was. And so the writer of Ruth was Samuel, the prophet. Well, the prophet Samuel is connected to Psalm 23 in the fact that he wrote and documented about the life of this shepherd boy turned king named David. And he writes a collection of songs called the Psalms. He's not the author of all of them, but he's the author of most of them. And he reflects upon his life, maybe at the outskirts of his life, and he writes maybe the most famous psalm the world has ever known. Millions upon millions have memorized this masterpiece. And I would challenge you in the next 40 days to memorize this psalm, if you've not memorized it, as you encounter trials, as you encounter this slippery slope called the Thanksgiving Christmas season, possibly sink this deep into your heart and to your soul. Psalm 23, verse 1. Let's look at it together. Let's just look at the first five words. It begins this way. Let's just all read it out together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you have heard those words before in that succinct To Raise of hand. Yeah, most of us have heard that particular song. What an amazing phrase. And what a peculiar phrase. Let me describe that to you real quickly. You see, the word Lord that David uses here, it reflects upon God's timelessness. It reflects upon his self-sufficiency, his all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he is accountable to no one, everyone else, no matter how powerful you are, the president of the United States or the lead pastor of Graceland Baptist Church or the president of a company or the vice president of an organization. We are all accountable to someone except for God. And translated, David says it this way, the Lord is actually for the word and the phrase Jehovah God which really has to do with a promise-making, always keeping his promises God. He never breaks one promise. How many of you, and you don't have to raise a hand, have broken a promise? All of us have broken a promise. But there's a God who never has broken a promise, that he is unchanging. And so David says, the Lord, this Jehovah God, and then he says, is my, what is that word? Shepherd. Shepherd. Here's a completely, completely opposite Contrasting word. In David's time, the shepherd was the lowliest of low positions. 24 hours a day with these mangy, stupid animals called sheep. This was a job nobody went to school for in his day. They would simply watch the sheep and then they would take care of the sheep. But what a powerful and humbling Juxtaposition that we have here, the Jehovah God, our shepherd. Which gives us a couple understandings here that number one, that he is a promise keeping shepherd, and number two, that we're likened to these animals called sheep. That you and me, we're all, we are called sheep. Now, here's a couple things about sheep. You cannot drive a sheep like you can drive cattle. I don't know if you've ever had sheep in your lifetime, but you can't drive them like cattle like they would do across the ranges in the, in the West. In the culture of uh, David, the shepherd knew the sheep by name. And what an incredible thing that your shepherd, your Jehovah God, he knows you by name. He knows Ray Green. He knows Patrick Sutt. He knows you, Ryan Brown. He knows Sarah. He knows your name, and he knows you incredibly well. Now let's keep reading. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's just repeat this next phrase together. I shall not want. Another translation says it this way. I have what I need. I love that. I have what I need. This is a phrase that we could certainly sink into our heart and our soul as we get ready for Thanksgiving and Christmas, Now, one scholar in particular writes about sheep in regards to having what they need. He says this, "'Sheep are helpless animals. "'Eastern shepherds guarded their sheep, "'led them, provided food and water for them, "'took care of them when they were weary, "'bruised, cut, or sick, "'rescued them when they were strayed, "'knew their names, "'assisted in delivering the lambs, "'and in every way simply loved them. "'There were no fences. "'The land was rough and dangerous, "'abounding with wild animals and snakes, "'and the helpless flock needed constant oversight.'" Now, do you see any correlation, let's just be honest, between these sheep and us? They were, that we are insufficient. That we are dependent. That in this world full of snakes, in this world with really no fences, we desperately need the shepherd. That we need his sufficiency in the midst of an insufficient ability that we have. And it's interesting to note that when the sheep were in the, in the care of the good shepherd, everything they needed was provided for. Isn't that encouraging and comforting? That when that you're in the care of the good shepherd, when you are simply in your heart is aligned with the good shepherd, all of your needs are met. That's why David continues. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads Me beside quiet waters. But see, this psalm is not just for those who are in trouble. This psalm is not just for those who are being memorialized at a funeral. This psalm is for us today. Another uh, writer speaks about shepherds, and I love this. He said, Sheep do not lie down easily. It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free free of these pests can they relax. And then he continues, lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So fear and friction and flies and famine, only the shepherd provides the ability for the sheep to be completely and utterly provided for. Isn't that incredible? This is our God. And we, as we rely and we trust upon the divine shepherd, he is the only one to deliver this type of provision for our life. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who, who are weary and burdened and I will give you, what? Rest. Yes. Maybe there are some people here today that need some rest. Maybe there's some of you here today, friends, that simply have felt exhausted. you have already feeling the 40 days of craziness, and already those words pour over you like a, just a beautiful cold glass of water on a very hot day. See, because of how the shepherd takes care of the sheep, David is, also, is, is able to offer the words, I have what I need. I have nothing I want. Everything has been taken care of. And because of God's provision, the psalmist writes another song. It's actually Psalm 106, verse one, and we'll just put it on the screen for you. And it says this, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And this morning, As we do every year at Graceland, since I've been the pastor, we go back to this one verse. We go back to this giving thanks because it lays the foundation for leaving the kind of legacy that we want to have in our life. And I love this because we are to give thanks. And giving thanks defined at this church is wanting what we've been given, wanting what we have. And why should we want what we have? Well, first of all, because as the psalmist says that God is what he's good that he is better than, that he is greater than anything else that anyone else could offer, that he is great and good. And then secondly, we should want what we have from the the divine shepherd because his steadfast love endures forever, that his loyal love never stops and it continues into eternity for you and for me. This is the divine shepherd's protection and his promise to us. My oldest daughter, when she was one, I took her one day. It was my day to spend all day with her. My wife was teaching school, and it was my day off, but I had to go into my office at the church that I was serving at, and I needed to do a couple of things. So I put her in one of those horrible, you know, baby holders that are really awkward. You know what I'm talking about? And I hauled her all the way to my office and I set her in all of her pinkness. Okay, my daughters have a lot of pink. And I set her in all of their, her pinkness on my green and white checkered couch. And I went to my desk and I started to do a couple things. It was only going to be five minutes. About a minute into it, she starts to whimper. And I thought, okay, I only have a few more minutes and then she's gonna, I'm going to have to take her home. And she starts screaming like bloody murder screaming. And I'm like, OK, well, work's done. OK, I got to go over. And so I go over to see and I get within a few feet and I, I get a whiff. You know what I'm saying? And when I got a whiff, I knew, oh, no, because I had forgotten wipes and diapers. And I'd forgotten um, also a change of clothes. You know, right then and there, father of the year given to me and then taken away, right? So I go over to her and I'm like, okay, well, we'll get home in just a few minutes. And I pick her up and I realize, number one, that it's worse than I thought. And number two, she has defied gravity because it has gone up the back into the hair. I don't know how she was sitting up, but it has done such a thing. And so I'm going, what do I do now? And then I pick her up and I realize that it's so bad. Now my green and white couch is now green, white, and mustard into an area that I didn't really want, uh, where people would sit every single week in my office. So I pick her up and I don't have any change of clothes. And so I do it. Only any good Dad would do. I take her to the bathroom and I strip her down, throw away her clothes and begin to rinse her off under the sink like any good dad would do. And so I'm rinsing her off and she's screaming and she's bright red and somebody comes into the bathroom. And I say, don't judge, get out. Like that. And it was at that moment, it was at that moment, my love for her was not enduring forever. And don't judge me because you've had that moment maybe too. But, but God's loyal love, it endures forever. Even when you've made a mess, even when your brokenness, even when you said something, you did something, even when you are at your worst, his faithful, loyal love enduring forever. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you need to hear that his loyal love for you is enduring, that your brokenness can be redeemed That his son loves you so much that he would step on a cross, he'd die for you, then he'd be resurrected three days later. That your brokenness can be healed when you repent and you believe in this Jesus. That the gospel transforms lives. His loyal love endures forever. But so often the case that his loyal love is is met with an ungrateful heart of ours. How often in the case do you get to experience the gratefulness and the gratitude and the loyal love of God, and it's met with this ungratefulness? We see the example of this in the Old Testament in the people of Israel. Four hundred years of slavery to a, a, a nation called Israel, uh, Egypt, they enslaved the, the Israel nation, and God sets them free miraculously. After 400 years. And God gives them the greatest non-deity leader the world has ever seen in Moses. You try leading millions of people in a desert uh, for 40 years. I would say he was one of the greatest. And you know what? They are not satisfied. Literally days after their freedom, they find themselves with their back to the Red Sea. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, they say to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Basically, like, this isn't good enough. What have you done for me now, Moses? We are ungrateful. You should have just left us up back there. Well, God does a miracle. He parts the Red Sea. They walk on dry ground. 3 days later, they they're getting thirsty. What does God do? God purifies a stream. So they can drink out of it completely. Bottled water basically for them. And so they're good for a little while. One month later, after that miracle, they get hungry. What does God do? He sends them heaven. He sends from heaven in the morning quail. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. He sends bread from heaven in the morning and quail in the evening. Exodus chapter 16. Do they like it? It doesn't last long. They begin to grumble again. And Moses said in Exodus chapter 16, verse eight, your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. They're complaining. They're not happy with what God has given. And let me tell you this, when you are ungrateful, you're telling God that he is not good enough for you. And it's just like this nation that we find ourselves in. When, when his loyal love hits us so many times, what hits him is our ungrateful hearts. So we do this every year. This is a little test for you to ask and think through, what does your Thanksgiving quotient look like as we get ready for Thanksgiving? This is just for you to do. And I would ask that you be honest this morning because this is a safe place to raise your hand when you know what you've been ungrateful and you've complained about one of these items. Okay, here we go. How many of you complained about any of the following this past week? Money? Weight? In-laws? Church? Church? Traffic, health, possessions, food, spouse, kids, car, house. Everybody raise their hand, right? We've all complained about one of those in the last week. So when we see a sunrise, could we say thank you? When we put a cold beverage to our lips, could we say thank you? When we draw another breath of air, could we say thank you? When we taste our next meal, whatever it may be, could we say thank you? Did you know that the only person that is really responsible for your thankfulness quota is not your spouse, is not your boss, is not your pastor. It's you. You're responsible. But we blame everyone else, don't we? There's a phrase that I I, want to teach you that maybe if you came last year at this time of the year that I taught you, and I want to remind you once again, this phrase, and I need, this is an all-skate event, okay? From the balcony to the floor, I need all your participation with me. And the phrase that I'd love for you to think through as you lay a foundation for leaving the legacy that you would be proud of and that would honor God, this phrase goes like this, I want my, you fill in the blank, and it couldn't be better, okay? So I want you to think about it. You're going to walk out to your car, and maybe it's brand. New, or maybe it's 50 years old. I don't know. But you're going to walk out to your car, and what I want you to say out loud is I want my car, and it couldn't be better. Let's say that all together. I Yes, that hurt for some of you right now. Like you wish you had a better car. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a different thing in your life, and I want you to insert that thing that I give you into that sentence, all right? So you're going to turn to your kids, whether it's today or tonight or this week, and you're going to say, I want my kids, and they couldn't be, okay, come on, I need your help here, all right? I want my kids, and they couldn't be better. You're going to go to your house, and you're going to say, I want my house, and it couldn't be better. You're going to go to your job with all of its issues, and the boss that drives you crazy, and the facilities that you don't like, and you're going to say, I want my job, and it couldn't be better. You're going to go to your family this week with your crazy uncle. And your idiosyncrasies abound and and all of the political arguments that may or may not happen. And you're going to think in your mind, I want my family and they couldn't be better. You're going to think about your boss and you're going to say, I want my boss and he couldn't or she couldn't be better. You're going to think about your leaders at this church, this guy. Your, your other pastors, the staff, the elders, the, the deacons, look at all of the brokenness and all of the issues that this man right here has, all of the ways that I am going to offend, I'm going to slip up, I'm going to fail you. You may just ask the Lord this morning, you say, I want my pastor and he couldn't be better. That was a good one. I like that one a lot. All right. You're going to turn to your spouse and you're going to say, I want my spouse and he or she couldn't. Be better. You're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say, I want my body. It could be a lot better, right? It could be a lot better. But you have to make the choice. You have to make the choice, friends, because you're responsible for your thankfulness quota. And you're going to get all kinds of messages. You're going to see all these things that you need this, you need this, you need this, you need that. And you need to say in response, A new car, I don't need this. A new job, I don't need this. A new family, I don't need this. A new boss, I don't need this. A new church, I don't need this. A new spouse, I don't need this. A new body, well, as we already said, we may need this, right? Now you may be select, you may be just a few in the minority here, but you've been gifted with something. And that gift is vision. You're just a gifted leader, you have vision. You see things that not everyone else sees. You walk into a room and you instantly think how you would do it. Have you ever experienced that before? If that's you, okay, you've been blessed with this gift of vision. But there's also a shadow in your strength. Because people like this, just like me, when you walk into a room, you see a situation, you think, well, I would have do it differently. You can become critical. You can, instead of smiling and enjoying it, you can walk around with a frown thinking of how the world would be better if they did it just like you. Okay, All of you think like that, say Amen. Amen, right? Here's what I want you to do. You have to be careful with this strength because if it goes awry, you become the problem and not the solution. And that's why Paul in his epistle says, I die daily. You have to put the flesh when that strength becomes a shadow at the foot of the cross so that you can get to the point, as Jesus would remind us, to celebrate the daily bread that God gives and as Psalm sixteen five says, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. That God supplies our every provision, that, it, that our, the divine shepherd gives us what we need. And that we have abundant riches in Jesus Christ. So there's just a few things that I'd love for you to read out loud with me together. Some verses that talk about the abundant riches in Jesus Christ. Let's read it out together together. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Ready? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always and for everything to God. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, James 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever, Psalm 118 for. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. When we want what we have and we're under the care of the divine shepherd, this is the foundation for leaving such a legacy we celebrate into the future. I have a friend and um, to keep his his name anonymous, we're just going to call him Jim. A few weeks ago, Jim would go to the hospital in serious illness. And I was concerned for him. Many people who knew him was concerned, his family. And uh, I just was wondering, would God take Jim home? And so we were visiting him and following up with him and praying for him. And I called him one day and I think he was at the hospital room. If not, he would have just been taken home. And I said, hey, Jim, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. And he goes, I've never been better. And I'm like, what? Like, Is he high on something? I mean, what's going on? And and, and he said, I've never been better because they're at the hospital. I was able to get to know the nurses and I was able to get to know their name and where they're from. And then I got to meet all the doctors and I got to pray for the doctors and share how much Jesus loves them. And he goes on and on and on and on. And I thought, wow, there's a legacy that has been built upon gratefulness. And what I think that we miss so often are the opportunities that we have that are missed when we're too busy pursuing these things out of our own sandbox, building our own sandcastle, our own kingdom. When God, in His incredible sandbox, is saying, Would you come build my kingdom, Ray? Would you come build mine? Because when you're grateful for what I've already given you, you have the capacity, you have the right stuff to build something incredible as God directs the life. Do you see how this is so important and how this week is so critical in the life of your family, your friends? I think about this last week and a little, or this coming week, of this, the history of it all. In 1621, the pilgrims, right? They celebrated after harvest a Thanksgiving meal. And then In 1789, our first president, George Washington, declared November 26th, and I quote, as a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. In other words, wanting what we have. And when we're grateful and we want what we've already been given, it paves the way for what David says next in the Psalm. Look at it with me. He says, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Do you know what this means? I'll tell you what this means. What's in a name? What's in a name are the actions of the person that has been called that? It. it shaped the action, shape the thinking about the name that's been given. And for David to say, for his name's sake, what he's meaning by that is that he lives so that the name of God, the name of Jehovah, would look and be great, would be famous. David understands that he's just an extra in the movie and the main attraction is Jehovah and that he wants his name to be great as J- David lives his life. And on this Legacy Sunday, we, don't, we not only celebrate the past and the present, but we look towards the future. And my prayer is that we would, na- we would make his name great. It's not about Ray. It's not about you. It's about his great name. And our dream and our vision at Graceland, right, is to see lives transformed for his namesake in our neighborhoods, in the next generation, in the nations through Jesus Christ. And by the grace and mercy and gratitude out of my own heart, I'm I'm able to say that we are seeing that happen. In the last few months, there was a, 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 a marriage at this church and they're standing in their kitchen and they're crying knowing that their marriage is on the brink of ending and through the discipleship and mentoring of someone of this church that marriage is flourishing for his namesake and just the last few weeks a middle school middle schooler came to faith in Jesus Christ said yes to Jesus Christ for life forever eternally changed for his namesake missionaries throughout the world sharing about Jesus Christ, not only just here, but around the world for his name's sake. And for his name's sake, we hope for so many things leading up to Christmas and into 2018, our first neighborhood campus. the missions that we're going to be able to establish are going to go forth in 2018. And we just found a pastor for this neighborhood campus uh, a week and a half ago. And I cannot wait to share that name with you in the coming weeks. And we're excited about this campus. It's going to partner with a local school. It's going to celebrate and reach out to single moms and single dads in Palmyra, Indiana, in the local area. And we've put a new roof on that building. We're going to renovate that building. And we're going to have a grand reopening of that church in around Easter of 2018 for his namesake. For his name's sake, I'm hopeful for spiritual growth at this church, that in 2018, in January, we're going to kick off an entirely new thing at our church where we want to pray and fast and get closer to Jesus and look more like him than ever before. We want to grow for his name's sake. In 2018, we want to continue to pour our efforts into local outreach, inviting and sharing Christ and unleashing compassion for his name's sake. And we want to build godly relationships. We're imperfect people, but we want to build godly marriages, godly relationships, relationships that are redeemed for his name's sake. But none of those are possible, none when we're ungrateful. None of those are possible when we spend all of our time pursuing things that we've not been given. Because when we pursue those things that we've been given and we can pursue God's economy and God's mission according to Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. So as I close this morning, I want to ask you, what is the foundation of a legacy you'd be proud of? Well, it's the foundation based upon a heart wanting what you have. I want to tie a quick thread through the story of Israel. And it's going to come back around and you're going to get my point. So for Israel, they wandered. And they wandered and they wandered and they wandered and they complained and they complained and they complained and they they were ungrateful and ungrateful. And and God's loyal love was met with ungratefulness. And their leader Moses eventually led them to the riverbank of the Jordan River. And there Moses basically died. And God taps this young leader on the shoulder and his name is Joshua. And he says, Joshua, you're gonna lead this nation into places that Moses never did. Just remember me. And Joshua, they cross the Jordan River and they go into areas and they finally come to a place, friends, where they're able to establish the land that they have been wanting and promised for so very long, according to Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. And the reason I tell you that story It's because there are Joshua's here today with the foundation of gratitude, with the foundation of wanting what you have are gonna lead you, are gonna lead your family, gonna lead your neighborhood into new legacy leaving waters. And I believe that with all I have. And I'm praying for you. You young teenagers, you college students, you young families, you senior adults, I believe there are Joshua's here today that God is calling to cross rivers. The worship team is gonna come out and Carly's gonna sing a song about legacy this morning. And and as she prepares to do that, I I wanna just ask you this question. If you get out your listening guide and there's just five lines on that listening guide, get it out where you are. And at the very bottom there, there's five lines. What I'd love for you to do as they're singing this song. What I'd love for you to do is write down five things that you are grateful for. And maybe these five things would turn your attention towards an attitude that would, that would be the foundation of a, a legacy that God looks great by. Maybe you've been thankful for these in the past or maybe you've never been thankful for these. But this morning... I'd love for you to write these down. I'd love for you to take these home. I'd love for you this week, as you prepare these next 40 days, that your legacy would maybe begin and you'd cross new waters.